your Locked On Maple Leafs, your daily podcast on the Toronto Maple Leafs, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Leafs podcast, your one-stop shop for all things Leafs. I'm your host, Mike DiStefano from TSN 1050 Toronto Radio, also known as Al's brother from TSN's Overdrive and TSN 1050's Leafs Lunch. You can hit me up on Twitter at Make It a Score Canuck. Follow the show as well at Locked On Leafs. If you like what you hear today, please consider subscribing to the podcast. Leave a rating review as well. That'd be much, much appreciated. And just a reminder that this is a daily show and you make Locked On Leafs part of your daily listening routine. You can find the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, so today's going to be uh, a bit of an interesting episode. We saw some big-time line changes go down at Leafs Camp today. Practice with a little bit of a, a, a margarita party because things were put Ooh. in the blender. Things were put in the blender by Mr. Sheldon Keefe. So uh, I'm going to have my good pal Brandon Cameron rejoining the show it's been a while since he's been on but brandon always enjoy your opinions when it comes to the maple leaf so we'll talk about these new lines what you think uh it, it you know what what this means for toronto why you think maybe we're seeing some line movements and how you think they'll perform overall then i'm gonna get your overall assessment because it's actually been probably a couple of months since i've had you on the show curious to see where you're sitting now as we approach the midway point in the maple leaf season and then it's that time of year where the rumors are a buzzing and everybody has their top trade candidates ready to go and i know you've been thinking about it now for the past few weeks so i'm going to pick your brain a little bit and figure out what trade candidates you think would make sense for the maple leafs uh down the line so that's what we're going to get to in today's podcast but why don't we start with these line changes because this kind of came out of nowhere i mean yes this road trip was a little bit difficult uh they dropped what four or five games they had a two goal lead and they pissed them all away so i guess in that regard it wasn't that you know surprising that maybe they're getting a bit of a different new look but um brandon i am going to talk i'm going to lay out these lines for you and you let me know just kind of your your initial raw thoughts so the first line at practice today we had Austin Matthews with Michael Bunting and Andre Kasha. Line two, Ilya Mikheyev, John Tavares, and Mitch Marner. Line three, Alex Kerfoot, David Camp, Willie Nylander, and then Engvall, Spezza, and Simmons make up the fourth line. So uh, your initial thoughts on the big old blender that Sheldon Keefe put these lines into today, and, you know, we'll just – I guess go. What are your initial thoughts? Go ahead. Yeah, so my, what originally strikes me is that I really like the fourth line with Engvall, Spezza, and Simmons. I think that's probably the ideal fourth line for the Maple Leafs. Like, I think that's pretty nice for them. Like, it's the one that's played the best I've noticed. I like Engvall's versatility on the fourth line as opposed to the third line. He fits in a little bit better there, I think. Um, I really like... Mikheyev trying to get a shot with JT and Mitch Marner. I, I think that could actually be an interesting dynamic that we haven't really seen before on the team. I think that's a pretty good shot for Mikheyev to actually have a really good chance to crack the top six like legitimately now, which is something that I'm excited for personally. Um, Kasha, 
and Bunting work pretty well with Matthews. They both have sat there a couple of times. So I have no issues with that. And Newlander's more than capable enough to run his own line, so I can see, I can see where they're coming from. It, it's worth a shot. Like I, I, it's good to know what you have, right? Yeah, and I mean, Sheldon Keefe has been known for being a guy who doesn't mind to tinker from time to time, but this is more than a tinker. Like, this is legitimately, yeah. like, these lines are put in a blender and they were kind of spit out here. That whole right side is just completely different. And, you know, I've been an advocate for getting cautious some more ice time. I thought maybe you bump him up to the second line and, you know, you find a spot for Kerfoot possibly on that third line, have it be in Kerfoot, Camp, and Mikheyev. But I guess they're going to try something different. And to me, kind of the, the interesting one here is the fact that the top six and the fact that Matthews and Marner were have been separated. Like, these are two of the, the best players on the team, obviously, but two of the great players in the NHL, and they've shown that they can really, really play together. And I'm just a little bit surprised. What this kind of tells me – is that Sheldon Keefe wants to get John Tavares going. And the best way that he knows how is to give him a playmaker like Mitch Marner. Because Tavares has always been more of a scorer than a playmaker. And I think Willie was just, maybe he's a little just a bit just, um, a bit too much puck dominant perhaps. And, and it just isn't gelling maybe as well as it once used to. So he wants to give him uh, a a distributor to try and build back his confidence. I think it's more of a confidence builder for John Tavares, and then you toss Mikheyev in there. A guy can go into the corner, muck it up, get the pucks, and get them out to Tavares and Marner, who can then go out and, and make the wow plays. But the Kerfa Camp and Nylander together is going to be interesting to me, and I think this actually speaks a lot to the progression in Willie's game because what we know about Sheldon Keefe is that he really likes to use that third line as a shutdown line. And now you're telling me that all of a sudden Sheldon Keefe believes in Willie's two-way game to the point where he's going to put him on a third line and try and, and get that line going, not only, you know, keep it afloat defensively, but I think also to kind of balance out the scoring throughout the lineup offensively, but overall, he definitely has to look at that Kerfa Camp and Nylander line and feel comfortable with them in the defensive zone. And I think that speaks volumes to what uh, he thinks of, of William Nylander and the progressions he's taken in his game, his overall game this season. Yeah, that's an awesome point. Like, I, I, I agree 100%. Like, Willie has actually had a really dominant season so far, in my opinion. I think he's been their best winger. I don't even really think he's been close. Yeah, not really. I mean, when Marner's there, he's pretty darn good. I think I saw a stat they're like nineteen and three when Marner's in the lineup. Um, so he's he's rather That's important. not bad. Yeah, he's That's rather important. important say. He's he's quite important important, and he was definitely the best player on the ice, uh, best forward on the ice in the win against the Islanders. I would say, but yeah, like I, I think this. It's it's almost funny. I was I was having a conversation uh, earlier today on Leafs lunch with Kristen Shilton, and she almost looked at this as um, Nylander moving him down to the third line is almost like they're trying to balance out the scoring and trying to get that line going. Almost like he wants to get Kerfoot and Camp going a little bit offensively and balance it out throughout the lineup. And if I recall last year this was the type of thing we saw 
happened with Zach Hyman. He was that guy where yeah. if a team is is struggling or if a, a, a unit is struggling, a line is struggling, Sheldon Keefe would literally just put Zach Hyman out there and boom, all of a sudden, you know, that line starts clicking. He was kind of the straw that stirred the drink for a little bit. No Zach Hyman. Is he looking now and like Nylanders suddenly become that guy or maybe like Kasha yeah. could potentially be that guy too. But I mean, it's not like Bunty and Matthews have been struggling. So I just thought it was a really interesting point for Kristen to kind of bring up. And I wonder if Nylander, who seems to be almost like a, a, a pet project in a way of, of Sheldon Keefe, like he's been hard on him, but he's also like has also tooted his horn when deservedly deserved. Sure. I, I just, I think this speaks a lot to, to his confidence in Nylander is, is I guess the, the overarching point that I gather from, uh, from these new look lines. Yeah. And if that's the reason that for the shakeup, then I'm a hundred percent all for it. Like I, I, I appreciate that different looks could never hurt you. Gives you more danger, less predictability during the playoffs. Right. Yeah. I mean, you just throw anything out there. Like you need, you need to find out if it works before you just, Toss it into the most important scenario you could possibly be in, right? Well, here's the thing. This forward group, this is this is the healthy forward group. No yeah. one's in right now. This is this is the twelve guys, the best twelve guys that I think they have on their roster. And now they gotta figure out, well, how do these twelve best players work collectively? And maybe in his opinion, he wants to see what it looks like for a couple of games, just a little stretch, maybe what it looks like balanced as opposed to loading up the top six with skill and then loading up your bottom six with a little bit of grit. And he'll see how it looks, I guess, coming up against this game we have against Anaheim on Wednesday. Pierre Engvall was an, uh, you know, an interesting name to see drop down to the fourth line. However, just because how good he's been playing lately, he's got 10 points his last 15 games. And he's rewarded by moving down to the fourth line. <laughs> I, to be fair, I think he's rewarded with his spot. Like, I don't know. I think he's earned his spot in the lineup. He's never going to get any higher than what he is. He's Peter Angle at the end of the day. <laughs> no, I agree. He's a bottom six player. I just, I just thought it was kind of funny. It's like, oh, you scored the game winner. You've been playing great. We're going to demote you to the third line and only give you like 10, 11 minutes a game. That said, that fourth line – always plays a lot better when they have Pierre Engvall there just because it adds that speed element. And for whatever reason, it just makes things click with Spets and Simmons when they have somebody who has just a little bit more foot speed on the ice with them, as opposed to having either Nick Ritchie or Kyle Clifford, which hasn't looked great uh, in, in the past here. So, you know, putting Engvall back there with a healthy lineup does make this team just look just that much deeper. It's a really, really deep club at the forward group. Um, defensively, I guess we could go through that really quickly. Not really much change here. Um, Riley Brody, Sandine, Hall. So Hall returns to practice. Looks like he'll probably be good to play in the game on Wednesday. Uh, Dermot and Lilligren right now, the, the defenseman in the third pair. Muzzin was skating today, which is a good, a good sign. However, wasn't a red practice jersey. So I would say most likely not going to play on Wednesday uh, if he hasn't gotten in a contact practice. Yeah. But the fact that he's on the ice is a good sign. Uh, but Justin Hall coming back after being off uh, due to COVID. Let me ask you this question about these guys. <laughs> um, did you miss Justin Hall more than you thought you would over the last couple of games? Yes. 
Yeah. <laughs> right? And now you look at this lineup and you're like, okay, this doesn't look as bad as it did on Thursday, last Wednesday against the Rangers, right? Yes, but I don't necessarily miss Justin Hall specifically. I just didn't like what he was replaced with. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But um, I, I think it just it did appreciate the intangibles and the bit of the, the edginess that both Muzzin and Hall do bring to the lineup. The fact that they've been out the last couple of games was kind of evident, um, especially in that game against the Rangers, I would say. Uh, yeah. then a decent bounce back performance, I would say, against the Islanders, but still, you can clearly tell that that sandpaper element to that back end is lacking when Jake Muzzin is not in the lineup, um, and Justin Hall to a, a lighter effect, but in, in a way also. Uh, so, him returning for that game against Anaheim hopefully does help because they got a lot of skilled players, they got some good players that you're going to want to try and protect the net and keep them away and, you know, get them out of the kitchen of one Jack Campbell. So uh, Justin Hall, he'll be returning to the top four um, based on what we saw today at, uh, at practice. Uh, all right, Brandon, let's take a quick break. When we get back, why don't um, I want to get your thoughts just on the team as a whole, kind of what you've seen over the first, we're what, 38 games now into the season for Toronto approaching that midway mark. So I just want to get your thoughts on how you think the team is. If you're worried about anything, how you think the goaltending situation is going to lay out for the rest of the season. A couple more questions I got for you, and we'll do that when we return here on the Locked on Leafs podcast. Bet Online would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue to march to the playoffs and beyond. Bet Online remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. New year and a new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code Locked On to get started. From football to basketball, hockey, boxing, UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. Bet online. It's where the game starts. Hi, welcome back to the Logged on Lease podcast, your one-stop shop for all things lease. Once again, I am your host, Mike DiStefano, a.k.a. Al's brother from TSN 1050. Joined with me today, we've got Brandon Cameron. And uh, Brandon, you know, you haven't been on the pod in probably a couple of months, and things were... Not going swimmingly last time you were on, I think. It was like the beginning of November, and it was like just starting to turn a little bit, and then they went on a tear afterward, had a really hot November. I think like ended up with the Jack Campbell at the second star, went like 9-0-2. The Leafs went on like a 20-4 and run after that mark. Um, since then, though, this past road trip has – You've seen play teeter off a little bit, especially of the goaltender, Jack Campbell, and, you know, COVID and some injuries start to place, you know, factors into what's going on. Uh, But just overall, we're we're approaching the midway mark of the season. How do you assess this Leafs team? I think they're good. Like, I think they've had a pretty good good year. Like, one of the, like, borderline, one of the best years they've had in God knows how long. Like, they, they're, they're second. Are they second in the division or third? They're probably third now. Tampa's yeah. probably pulled ahead. Yeah. Probably third, but not by a lot. Like, they're, they're right there. Um, 
no complaints. <laughs> I, I, they blow their three one leads. They're gonna do that all the time. That's who they are. Like I don't know. They they haven't shown me anything this season that I don't know that they already are. You well, know? Did you have any any comments that you wanted to make about um, or any commentary rather on Sheldon Keefe's comments about the team playing soft in New York? Because the way that I took it, and it seemed to be some people took it as a macro view. I took it as a micro view, and I looked at it in that game specifically. I felt that they were soft and felt those comments were warranted. Where some people, some media members, thought that it was a pointed attack on the team and their mindset and their mentality. And since you know, it's it, it was it's uh, the, the the fragility of this lineup, and you could look at it and say they get ousted every single year in round one. They just can't get over that mental hurdle and maybe this was a, a, an attack on the past few seasons what did you make of all those comments about Sheldon Keith calling him soft playing purposeless hockey do you have an issue with those or I, your thoughts? I, honestly no I don't like I, I saw it as a one-off like I'd like you I saw it as a one-off event where it was like that is how they played in that moment and it was like that was what he's feeling because that is that's honestly exactly what happened against in that game that's exactly what happened like yeah it it just is but the truth is like at the same time even if it isn't specifically about the bigger picture all the time and in this scenario but like they do have a proven track record of kind of doing this a lot when it matters the most like they've (laughs) they've kind of done it that much and i could only imagine how in Infuriating that would be to be their coach yeah. to see them do that all the time. Right, right, and I mean that—that that was the fourth time in five games that they had squandered a three-one. I know. Like, what are we doing here? Like, we were supposed to be learning from our mistakes. That's that's what pro hockey is all about. It's from learning from the tape and learning and going out and putting up a better effort the next night. And when you have four or five games where you're doing that, yeah, the coach is going to come out and say, look, we." and the reason why they lost because they did get soft. They were getting pushed around in the corners. They were just, you know, they were, they were afraid of the forecheck and coughing up pucks left, right, and center. That's what it was. It was a soft game. Are they a soft team? No, I don't think that they're generally a, a soft team. I mean, are they the, the 80s Flyers? No. But they're also like not the Leafs of a couple of years ago, where literally nobody was even, you know, getting a puck in the corner unless it was like Zach Hyman, essentially. No, they battle. No, they battle. What's that? They battle now. They they have a lot more fight in them than I've seen at times before when they were younger, before they developed players, right? Like they they didn't have that before, but I haven't seen that as much, honestly, often. Like they. They they have a better fight. I think there's something kind of in there now that wasn't there before. There might be a different gear this time. Fingers crossed. The bizarre thing about it is, like, up until that game against Colorado, they were, like, 17-0 when leading after two periods. And, And early in the year, shutting it down in the third period was a point of contention for this team. That was, like, they didn't even care what they did in the first and second. As long as they had a good third... It was like Sheldon Keefe was happy with the performance. Like, it could be a 2-1 game, but they had a solid third period. Boom. Great game. Thought we locked it down the third. And that was always kind of the discussion post-game with the players. Locked it down the third. That's what they're most proud of. 
but recently that hadn't quite been the case. So it's just, I think it's a little bit of a blip, <laughs> bit of a blip on the radar. And, you know, mm-hmm. they finally locked it down in the third. Well, Mrazek actually stood on his head a little bit in the third period against the Islanders. If they're out shot like 15 to four. <laughs> but, to be fair, though, it's an Islanders team that never scores. <laughs> right, right. They were, they were very low events. Like, yeah, it was a lot of shots, but it was quite low events. I would it's a Lou Lamarillo hockey team. Yeah, well, we know it very well. <laughs> we know it very well here in Toronto, don't we? But, uh, yeah, either way, I think it's just a blip. And hopefully that win against the Islanders where they finally, you know, got a lead, held the lead, won the game. Now we can stop talking about it and then go out and just start winning hockey games again. Um, but Jack Campbell has been – not great, I think you could say. Uh, no. The course, really, since that that since he was second star in November. Uh, it was since like the, it was, I mean, the COVID break. It was since they kind of got hit no, by no, the COVID. No, no, no. Since... I, I, I that's this is what I'm telling you. It does date back to like December first, because you date back to December first. He's got like a three fifteen goals against and like an eight ninety three save percentage. You can go go back to the, all of December and all of January to this point, and both months have been a bit of a struggle here for Jack Campbell. Um, mm. You worried about this at all, or like what's what's your your level of concern here to steal a bit from Pals at Overdrive? I'm not overly concerned. I, I think Jack Campbell could use some time off. Peter Mrazek getting healthy at the right time is helpful in that aspect as well. Like if if he can pull off games like he pulled off Saturday night then they can have that opportunity to rush that down a little bit and help him, you know, find his game, relax, chill out a little bit. He doesn't need to, like, I don't know. Well, like, you under- Here's the thing. Yeah. You understand the worry, though, right? Like, this – I get it. Kind of the, 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 the biggest question mark with Jack Campbell was the workload. Like, once he got to a certain workload, was he still going to be able to perform to the level that he had has since he got to Toronto? Because – He's never played 26, 27, 28 games in a season. And now he's going to be expected to play 50, 54 games in a season. So once he gets into this murky area he's never been before, the question is, is he going to be able to keep up that play? And he hasn't quite shown it yet. We're hoping this is a bit of a blip. um, And, you know, he can kind of get a bit of a reset, not playing a whole lot of hockey over the course of – uh, the end of December and January, just based on the way the schedule has been laid out through either COVID uh, postponements or just the schedule in general, getting a couple of days off in between. And, you know, I, I think going forward, though, I believe we will see a bit more of a, a, a true tandem like we were expecting, assuming mm-hmm. that Mrazic can stay healthy. What do you think? Yeah, I completely agree. It's probably the time to do it, middle of – January going into February, like the bad days of the season, like that's where you kind of gotta let the murkiness of your team kind of just fester yeah. a little bit. You kind of, it's, it's just a time. That's when it happens. Yeah, and like you saw, what the February schedule looks like. That's a lot of hockey and not a lot of days. Like it's the shortest month of the year. There's an All Star game thrown in between there as well that he gets to go to and has to participate in. Um, and there's also an additional 12 regular season games within that 28 day span. Like that's just, that's just a lot of hockey 
for him. Yep. So I, I think we'll we'll get to see Peter Morazic a little bit here down the stretch, more so than we saw before. But luckily, sure. they put forth a really good effort against the Islanders and maybe instilled confidence in yourself and me and Leafs Nation and most importantly in Sheldon Keefe and the team playing in front of him. Um, is there anything else that kind of sticks out to you, a, a little narrative that you wanted to bring up about the, the Maple Leaf season so far? I mean, I guess to me, like, I, I've still always been a believer of, like, anything that happens this season doesn't really matter until the playoffs anyways. Like, they right. can do all the things that they want, and they can change all the things they're going to change, and that's all whatever. But, like, I, honestly, as a Leafs fan my entire life, like, I could not care less what happens right now as long as it translates to the playoffs. If it doesn't translate to the playoffs, then it's for nothing, so it's a waste of time. <laughs> All right, well, you're just being an absolute extreme pessimist, as you always are, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> that sentiment, that sentiment is, is held by a lot of Leafs fans. It's like, I I mean, just get to the playoffs. We know you're making it. Get there, and then show me that you've changed, that you've learned these mistakes. Like, the first eight months of the year don't mean anything until you get to May. A lot of people have that same you know, perspective. We'll see. We'll see what happens come May. Hopefully that's true, but uh, it's, there's still a lot of hockey to be played between now and then. And are you sure this exact group is deep enough and good enough to win a cup, Brandon? No. No. <laughs> Would you say that there's an addition or two that could be made before the trade deadline, Brandon? I think so, yeah. Well, coming up next, you and I are going to discuss a couple of players around the league that we think might be good fits for the Maple Leafs come the NHL trade deadline. So get yourself ready to answer that question. I'll let you ponder it while we hear a word from our show sponsor. Welcome back into Locked on Leafs. Mike DiStefano, the host of the show. With me, I got Brandon Cameron and uh, B-Cams, my good pal. Uh, teased it right before we, we went to, to break there and talked about how this team is, is close, but they're not there yet. Like, I think they're, they are a strong playoff team, but in order to become a Stanley Cup contender, I think there's a move or two that will need to be made before the deadline. I have the belief, yeah, exactly. I think every Leaf fan will probably agree with that statement. I am of the belief that it's the blue line. The blue line needs the most attention, I would say. Um, are there a couple of guys around the league who you've kind of circled and pinpoint and have gone to cap friendly and have gone on to NHL 22 and have tried to formulate a trade, some sort of arm GM, armchair GM situation to land said defenseman onto the Maple Leafs? Who might that be? I've been pretty open about it for the last bunch of years, but I've always wanted Josh Manson on the least blue line, man. That is my guy. I love the way that guy plays. He's got so much physicality. He's so cool. I love Josh Manson. If it was Josh Manson, I would be through the roof. Like, that's the exact piece I would want on the blue line to be added. Um I don't know if that's actually going to happen. I don't know. The Ducks are – are the Ducks still in a playoff race? I, I, they're probably yeah, going to fall yeah, out eventually, yeah. but they're they saying the race out. 
Yeah, like that's the problem. That's the only issue with Josh Manson. Like he fits to a T exactly what they're looking for. I think he's a UFA, if I'm not mistaken. And if he is a UFA, that does make him more likely to be dealt by Anaheim, who, let's be honest, probably overachieving this season to what their expectations were. So if they can move Josh Manson and get some, you know, some nice future pieces, I think they might entertain that. So I don't think them being in a playoff scenario would necessarily take him off of the market. And I think he would be a good one because it's exactly what you need, right? A rugged right shot uh, defensive defenseman who can lay the boom, play that heavy physical playoff style of hockey that you can sit alongside Jake Muzzin and be your go-to shutdown pair. Makes a lot of sense. When you're connecting dots, Josh Manson should certainly be a name that Kyle Dubas has called on to try and, and improve this blue line. So Josh Manson is a guy who is also on my list. Is there another one around the league that you've thought about? If Josh Manson is not the guy that ends up here in Toronto, who else do you want it to be? Yeah, I think the, a little more realistic option at this point in time, based on what's going on with the league and stuff, is a, is a guy in New Jersey, Damon Severson. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah I, I, I like him. I've always had pretty, pretty high on like him being like a decent top four defenseman. I don't know if he's really had that chance to do it in New Jersey because they stunk for so long. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, I think he could probably use a change of scenery. I think that's probably a guy a team like New Jersey would be willing to move on from. I don't really think he would cost through the moon either. His contract's pretty cheap. It's like Low fours, I think. Something yeah. in the low fours, something like that, around that. Um, I, I like him. He's a big body. He could be a good shutdown two-way guy. I, he's a decent guy, a decent choice. Yeah, I'm just taking a peek now at what his contract situation is like because I think he's got some term on his deal too. Yeah, he's got, it's, a, it's a weird deal, but it's like apparently New Jersey shopping. I'm like, that's the thing. Yeah, so right shot defenseman, 27 years old, making 4.16 this year and next year. And term is something that Sheldon or that Kyle Dubas has been, you know, in the past, something that he's liked to do, someone with term, just so that they know what the the cap situation looks like the following year, gives them a little bit more clarity. I wonder if they care about that this year, though, with the cap not going up and already doling out an extension to Morgan Riley and needing to give an extension to Jack Campbell and Rasmus Sandin, possibly Andre Kasha. So I, I'd be curious to see if they look for term or if they go for a rental this year based on next season's cap uh, and contract situation. But Damon Severson is definitely a name that I think Dubis and Lee Finn should be interested in if he is, in fact, available. Um, a name he not that... also a Sue Greyhound? Was he not also a Sue Greyhound? Ooh, was pretty he? Sure a... I'm pretty sure he was a Sue Greyhound. <laughs> if he was a Sue Greyhound, then I, I would... he was a Sue Greyhound. A lot of money. This guy was not a Sue Greyhound because he played uh, in the dub for Kelowna. Oh, for Kelowna? Okay, yeah, okay. We were very, very far off. He does have a Kelowna Rocket-style defenseman name, I will say. Um, they, they draft specifically named players, the Kelowna Rockets. Oh, is that what they do? Yeah. This is what the dub does in general. They always yeah, get true. wild, wild names. But I was going to say, if, if he was a former a former, uh, that is crazy. Greyhound, then I would have 
definitely placed the futures bet at Bet Online that Damon Severson was going to be a Maple Leaf by the end of the trade deadline. <laughs> like that, that just would have happened. Um, one of the guys who I've been thinking of a little bit, and we got a chance to watch him Saturday night, is Scott Mayfield. I like Mayfield a lot. He's a bit of a bigger body. You know, he plays alongside Adam Pellick as kind of the shutdown pair in, um, in, in New York. So I think that he has played some really good, strong minutes against tough competition, and he's been up to task for it. And he's somebody who is under contract next year, but I think it's super cheap, like $1.65 million or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And for those who are listening, he's making a face like, wow, that is a great deal. And it is for a player like Scott Mayfield, who's, you know, uh, I would call him like a, a low-end four, probably a low-end four. But that's that's what they need, right? A guy who's just a, a def- you know, stout, big-bodied defensive defenseman to go along with Jake Muzzin. And, and so I think Scott Mayfield may not cost a lot. I think the Islanders – not having the season that they were expecting. They're like a 500 team at this point and pretty far out of the playoffs. I wonder if he would become available and Toronto may be interested in a player like that. Uh, another interesting name. I know Ben Chirot's been talked about a lot in Montreal. So has, uh, so has John Klingberg. I'm not sure that they go after those guys. It seems like there'll be, there'll be some other teams that are willing to give up a little bit more, but another interesting name that I've been thinking of that I haven't, hasn't quite been tossed out uh, a lot is Connor Murphy out in Chicago. I think Connor Murphy would be an interesting one. He's got some term left on his deal as well. Uh, But you know, another guy who can just log minutes, defensive defenseman hits blocks, uh, big body out in front of the net. So I think Connor Murphy is another interesting name to kind of keep an eye on. And we did see a report come from, I believe it was Frank Saravalli earlier this week, saying how everyone but Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze are available in Chicago. So if that the dumbest reports I've ever heard. Yeah, well, because that also <laughs> left off the name Kirby Doc, uh, Alex DeBrinkett, two names who probably should definitely be over Toves and Kane? Yeah. <laughs> Two names that I would say over Toves and Kane? Well, maybe not Kane, but like Taze at this point, I mean, he's your captain though, so it's difficult, but you'd think those two would have been included in that list at the very least. Like, it just make the list four names long as opposed to two. But those are kind of two names that I've been interested in, Scott Mayfield and uh, and Connor Murphy, to go I've, along with the Josh Manson uh, deal. Yeah, go ahead. I have one more name that I'm willing to throw out there. It's uh, it's not actually uh, a defenseman this time. I think the Leafs probably might want to go after another top six forward at some point. Okay. And I, uh, I wouldn't mind seeing my old man Claude Giroux. And the Maple Leafs top six. Why? So there was a tweet earlier today that suggested. I know. And I don't really get it. Like really? Well, I love that. Clancher is awesome. He's a great player, but is that really what the Maple Leafs need? Another terrific playmaker? I mean, I would much. I think this team needs to round out their blue line, and if you're going to use you know, a, a lot of cap on a guy, like he makes what, 8 million, I'm pretty sure. Even if he gets retained, you're still looking at 4 million bucks for a luxury, like get something that you actually need, a blue liner. 
I don't get the. Maybe you get a defenseman in the DL two. Maybe you find a defenseman in the DL two. Very selling. You want Rasmus Ristolainen? No. <laughs> well, I don't think they're going to be giving away Ivan Provorov anytime soon. You never know, man. Yeah, you never know. But uh, so those are a couple of names. Hey, would you would you sniff around a good Branson as your as your six? No, I'm not. I'm very anti Erica Branson. I do not like the way he plays. He's played pretty good in Calgary. I'm not going to lie. Not going to lie. The problem with him is, like, he'll play really well for a month, maybe a month and a half, six weeks or so, and then all of the, like, good Branson fans from, like, his draft will be like, see, I knew this guy, if he just put it together, would be able to get it done, and then he completely – And then he breaks his shoulder. He just takes a sky (laughs) dump the rest of the year and becomes, like, a dash 42 in the last three months of the season, and then all the haters are like, yeah, see – this is why he sinks, and this is why he gets traded, and no one ever wants him. But uh, I think he's playing pretty decent hockey as of now out in Calgary. I'll say that, but we'll see. Um, just a couple other random names that I tossed on a list here. Uh, Nikita Zadorov, potentially, you know, big boy, big body. You know, toss him in the top four um, as a top four defenseman. He does not mind to throw the body around. Justin Braun perhaps a, a nice veteran piece. Justin Braun's another name that I kind of wrote down here. I, we'll, we'll see if any of these guys end up in Toronto, but I think if, if the Maple Leafs truly do want to make a run at the cup, which I think everyone knows is, is at this point, the expectation for this team, it's no longer cute that they're in the playoffs. It's this team needs to compete. They need to go deep or changes will occur. And if changes occur, it's going to happen from the top which means Kyle Dubas will be out of a job and you can't take your draft picks and prospects with you, Doobie-Doo. So you might as well trade them and go and get yourself a defenseman to help you this season. So we'll see if you Scorched do. Earth. We'll see if you do. Earth. All right, Brandon, really appreciate you joining me today. We'll wrap this one up uh, right now. Um, good conversation. Good to have you back on the pod. We'll have to do it again. Cheers, buddy. Uh, thank you, everyone. That will do it for us today on the podcast. I'd like to thank you all for listening and supporting the show. You can subscribe to the Lockdown Leafs podcast on all podcasting platforms. Receive daily Leafs content. Follow myself on Twitter at Mickey underscore Canuck. Follow the show at Lockdown Leafs. I'll be back with another episode tomorrow. We'll be teeing up the game between the Leafs and the Ducks. But until then, keep it locked right here on Lockdown Leafs.